Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Well, good morning. This this teaching from Luke chapter 16 is one of those that makes you scratch your head a little bit. Uh, When I read it again and again this week, I I was sort of in this frustrated state of like, what is Jesus saying here? It's really confusing. For for the first half of the reading, we're we're tracking, we're following along. It it sort of makes sense, right? Jesus is um, teaching this parable about a wealthy landowner who had a manager that was entrusted with the property and the estate, but we hear that the manager is not doing a good job. He's squandering the property. We're, we're led, uh, left to our imagination to think, well, what is this manager doing? Maybe he was embe- embezzling money or he was using the, uh, the estate for himself, but we know that he's dishonest and he's not doing a good job. And so the owner calls him uh, to court and says, give me an account of your management. You know what, though? Forget it you're fired. You can't be my manager any longer. And then we have this really interesting line. It makes me laugh every time I read it. The, the dishonest manager says to himself, oh man, what am I going to do now? I'm, I'm too weak to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. How, how am I going to make a living? How am I going to take care of myself? I've been living off the fat of the property and the estate and, and now I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But he has an idea. He decides to call over all of those people that owed the wealthy landowner, his boss, money. He calls all of those who have a debt and he gathers them together and now he's doing this illegally. So maybe he still has access to the books, uh, but he no longer should be representing this landowner, but he, he calls all of those people together and he says, hey, how much debt do you have? How much do you owe the big man? Well, 100 jugs of olive oil? Okay, make it 50. How much wheat do you owe? Ah, cut it in half. Why is he doing this? Is he doing this because he genuinely cares about their plight? Maybe. But we do know that he has mixed motives, right? He has mixed motives here. He's doing this because in in the hopes that these people will now welcome him into their homes and will care for him. He's trying to build a reciprocal type of relationship here. He no longer has a job. He's too weak to dig and too ashamed to beg. And so his only uh, chance that he thinks in the moment is, let me help these other people out so that I now have favor in their sight. Maybe they can give me a job or they'll at least bring me in their home and give me a meal. I could be their hero. And then the text gets really confusing because the wealthy landowner tells the manager, well, boy. well, there you go. Now you're acting shrewdly. It's confusing, isn't it? 
I at least initially think that the landowner would be upset about this. Why are you forgiving these debts? They owe me the money. You already were squandering my property and now you're, you're taking away my future wealth? What are you doing? But he doesn't do that. He actually commends him. Now you're learning the system. Now you're learning how to get ahead. Now you're learning the game. I don't know what's fully in his mind, but Jesus then pivots to his disciples, right? And he's uh, addressing the disciples, and he says, hey, you, children of the light, do you know that you actually have a whole lot to learn from this generation? You would do well to act more shrewdly. What? Jesus now is telling his disciples to act like the dishonest manager? This, is, this makes for a really interesting stewardship sermon, right? What is Jesus doing? Now, I can't stand before you this morning and tell you that I have all the answers. I don't. It's perplexing and it's confusing. But one thing I do know about Jesus and how he did ministry and how he taught is he was always making an example of those that the religious leaders and authorities, those that acted pious, holier than thou, those who paraded around in robes, in the synagogues, leading the prayers, those who acted like they had it all figured out, he's always trying to teach them that they have something to to learn from the outcast or the outsider, right? Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, the man fallen down in the ditch who's beaten and robbed and left half dead, and the priest and the Levite Levite walk right by and do nothing to help him. Jesus makes the Samaritan, the outsider, the enemy, the hero in the story. Again and again, Jesus is trying to get the religious, holier-than-thou people to see that they have something to learn from the people they think um, that they want nothing to do with. So is Jesus maybe doing that here? He's saying, hey, these sinners and tax collectors that you're upset I'm eating with, that you're upset that I'm dining with, I'm choosing to be with them, the tax collectors that often extorted others, that lined their own pockets and not just the emperor's um, throne, you actually have something to learn from them. They can actually teach you something. So what is that something here? Now we know that this dishonest manager in the parable, he does have selfish motivation. You can't escape that here. But even with that selfish motivation, I find it really interesting that there is the beginning of a transformation in his mind when it comes to resources and wealth. Think about the transformation for a moment. He was in charge of a large sum of money He lived off of that money. He's squandering it. He's wasting it. He's not getting a good return. Maybe he's using all of those resources so that he can have the finest food and the best meals. Um, He's living very self-centered when it comes to these resources and this money. But in his own moment of desperation to try to help himself, I think he starts to understand that money is used and can be used for far more than just your own enjoyment, building up your own kingdom. He sees that money actually has the ability to bond people together. Money is relational. And so when he calls over all of those people that have a debt and he starts to forgive half of their debt, he starts to understand that 
money also directly impacts people's quality of life. And that if we relieve debt, if we share some of the blessing, we actually bond people together in unity. Now, he might be doing this for selfish reason, but maybe, just maybe, that's what Jesus is commending. The transformation from wealth and resources being used just for oneself to wealth and resources being used as a tool to build community, to build goodwill between people. And I've been thinking about that in context to Brianna this summer. So earlier this summer, Brianna wanted to have a lemonade stand and Noah wanted to tag along. And so we bought the lemonade and on a beautiful Saturday morning, we, we set up the lemonade stand at the, the perfect spot in our neighborhood where you get the dog walkers and, and cars kind of come by. And it was a beautiful day. We had pink lemonade and, and traditional lemonade. We even had some cookies that I had to sort of slap their hands a bunch because they kept eating all of their potential profits, you know, as we, we sat there. And, um, And that day at the lemonade stand, we ended up being there for five and a half hours. And in five and a half hours, we made $86. Remarkable for a lemonade stand, right? Really unbelievable. And and I learned the trick to making uh, good money at a lemonade stand. So listen up, kids. Here's the trick. Do not advertise your lemonade is for sale for a dollar. Don't do it. Lemonade is for sale for a quarter. And when you sell lemonade for a quarter, people can't help but give you the full dollar bill or even more, a $5 bill or a $10 bill. As opposed to that other lemonade stand down the road that's charging a dollar. Well, my goodness, this is highway robbery, right? No, charge a quarter, they'll give you more. You listening? They'll give you more. So we walked away with $86 in cash and coins. Jackpot, Brianna was rich. For the first time in her life, she's filthy rich in her mind, right? Look at all this money. And she wanted to do the lemonade stand because it was pool season. And at our local pool, there's a snack shack that sells ice cream and airheads and candy and hot pretzels with cheese. And Brianna loves the snack shack. So she has her little yellow or little green uh, purse for her pocket change and Every week she puts a little bit of her earnings into that and and she goes to the pool, to the snack shack. And I started noticing, um, observing Brianna from afar. We're trying to give her more freedom to uh, make her own choices and, and make her own decisions and that was her money that she earned. And I'm noticing, um, that Brianna's sitting at a table with a bunch of little girls her age, her friends, And Brianna had this big drumstick ice cream cone that she's enjoying eating that she paid with her money she earned. And a friend at the table is saying, oh, I don't have any more money. I I really want a drumstick. The friend had just spent their last dollar on something else. And Brianna got up from the table and she says, I have money. I'll buy you a drumstick. So I'm just watching and Brianna goes over and she, she puts the money on and she brings her friend a drumstick and, and I think, hmm, I don't know how I feel about this, right? In all honesty, I, I wasn't certain how I felt. Is Brianna trying to buy friends? Um, is she being careless with her money? She worked hard for that money. The next week, a very similar thing happens. Brianna's munching on an airhead that 
Mom doesn't want her to eat, but she bought a couple, and I'm observing from afar, and a couple of friends said, oh, we didn't pack our money today, and Brianna said, I've got it covered. Let me get my little purse, change purse, and she went up, and she's buying airheads for every kid at the table, just throwing them out. So at this point, I'm thinking, ah, do I need to have a conversation with her? So I pull her aside later that day, and I said, hey, Brianna, I've noticed that you're buying your friends lots of stuff at the snack shack. She said, yeah, I am. I said, um, you know, you might want to think about not doing that as much, you know? That, they probably have their own money, right? They can bring their money, and that's your money you worked hard for. And she said, Dad, um, you don't get to tell me what I can do with my money. I said, oh. And she said, no, Dad, they wanted ice cream, and I had the money, so why wouldn't I buy my friends ice cream so my friends can be happy? And she said, and there was one day that I was down here at the pool, and we forgot to pack my money purse, and guess what? My friend Kate bought me an ice cream cone. That's how it works, Dad. If I have money and they don't, my friends are getting ice cream. And if I don't have money and they do, I'm getting ice cream. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It makes no sense when you're trying to play by the rules of the world. But I think Brianna got it. Money is a resource, a tool that can bond people together. Brianna could easily have adopted the mindset that that was my money that I worked for. It's all mine and I'm only ever using it for myself. And this got me thinking of my neighbor uh, friend growing up across the street. His name was Todd. He had a little brother, Mikey. Todd and Mikey were total opposites, total. Todd was a skater kid. He was sort of a bum. He was my bum friend. When I wanted to bum around the neighborhood and do much of nothing, I hung out with Todd. But Mikey, his little brother, three years younger, about 12 years old, was a mini little entrepreneur. He had started lemonade stands, made some money, used that money, and uh, started a lawn business in the neighborhood, uh, trimming bushes, doing all of this. He wore khaki pants every day, um, a tucked-in shirt, button-up shirt, and a a straight-billed hat. He looked like a little Forrest Gump. Um, and he had the entrepreneurial spirit. He, he was a young capitalist, right? He knew how to turn a dollar at 12 years old. And I'll never forget one day, I'm at Todd's, uh, Todd's house. We're playing video games in his room. And Mikey's not around. He's out working a job, right? The little brother's out working while Todd and I are playing video games. And Todd says, hey, I- I'll be right back. Hey, let's go into my brother's room. I'm thirsty. Do you want something to drink? I said, sure. Why, why aren't we going to the kitchen, though? He said, well, my, my brother bought a mini fridge with his earnings, and he has a mini fridge in his room, and he keeps his own Coca-Colas in there. We're just going to get some out of his room. So I'm going in all confused, and, and we open up the mini fridge. We grab the two Cokes. We come back in. We pop them. We're playing video games, and here comes Mikey coming home. Mikey comes upstairs, goes into his room, and he starts taking inventory in his mini fridge. He at least notices two Coca-Colas are missing. He comes over into the next room to Todd and I, and he sees us drinking the Coca-Colas, and he says, that'll be 275, Todd. <laughs> and he wasn't joking. That'll be 275. Those are my Cokes. You know the rules. The Cokes in the kitchen are for anyone. I, may, I earn the money. 
it's my money, those are my Cokes, you can't have my Coke without paying me, Todd. They got into this sibling argument, right? Now certainly part of us gets that Mikey worked hard, he bought his own Cokes, of course that should be celebrated. But what does the kingdom of heaven look like? It looks like a child with the attitude that says, I have these resources, my friend wants ice cream, I'm gonna help him get ice cream. Or does it look like, I earned the money, it's my Coke, you better pay me for the Coke. Right? Of course we want our children to grow up and learn to be responsible and to learn the value of money and and hard work, of course. But this doesn't just happen with children, does it? The kingdom of heaven looks like generosity. It looks like brothers sharing meals together, friends sharing food together. It looks like communities sharing resources with other communities that don't have them, that, that are struggling. It looks like us as a congregation truly growing together in our understanding that all of the resources we have are given to us by God to be used to bless, heal, and repair the world. As we grow together in our faith this fall and this year, as we grow together in our understanding of stewardship, my prayer for myself is that I would be more like Brianna. (laughs) Is that I would look at the resources that I have and not think it's mine, 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 but I would look at my resources and ask the better question, how God might I use this to bless others, to bless the world? And sometimes when we ask that question, we think we're acting foolishly. And if you think you're acting foolishly, it might just be that you're acting in the spirit of the kingdom of God, which is reckless, abundant, generous. And I can tell you I would much rather sit around the table of little girls all eating ice cream cones, sharing in joy, sharing in conversation, than to be seated in a room across the hallway where brothers are arguing over a can of Coke. How might we grow together to realize that all of these resources, all of these things that we work hard for that come from God are to be used for a greater purpose? So may we live in love like Jesus and may we buy one another a cone of ice cream. Amen? Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.